You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. So today we're going to look at, my, my objective is to convince you that you and me, we all should be taking the fourth commandment much more seriously. So what is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments? Well, it's found in Exodus 20, verse 8, and I'm going to read it for you. It'll also be on your screen. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. This has got to be the most ignored commandment of the Ten Commandments, especially in modern society. People do not pay this any attention. And you may be thinking in your seats right now, But Jason, that's the Old Testament, and that's the law. And we no longer live under the law, right? Like Jesus came, and it's grace, and and he kind of abolished the law. Isn't that right? Well, all those weird commandments in the Old Testament, we don't have to pay any attention to them. All right, well, there's some truth in there, and there's a lot of falsehood in there, okay? All right, first of all, it is true that we no longer live under the covenant of the law. We live under the covenant of grace, But it's very important to understand that Jesus made it very clear he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill its purpose. He did not abolish it. He came to fulfill its purpose. So then we have to ask the question, what was its purpose? What was the purpose of all these laws? I mean, don't eat shrimp, don't eat pork, but bacon is so good. Don't even get me started about bacon wrapped shrimp. Like, why can't we do those things? Don't sew two types of clothing together. Don't plant two types of seed in a field. And then harsh, harsh consequences for all these different sins. Like, what was the purpose of all that? Well, there's a twofold purpose. There is reasons for these laws, okay? So we're going to explain that this morning. Twofold purpose. One, all right? Paul makes this very clear. The law was given to us to show just how sinful we are and how impossible it is to get to heaven on our own, on our own, all right? We needed a Messiah. We needed a Savior. And so the law was presented to us to show us just how sinful we are and how much in need we are for a Savior. The other reason that God gave the law to the Jewish people is that he was trying to protect them and he was trying to help shape this people the stubborn and rebellious people who did not have access to the Holy Spirit. And it was like to drag them to the point where Jesus could come and die for our sins and then grant us access to the Holy Spirit. So he needed to form for himself a people that would follow him. And he had to do it with them kicking and screaming and dragging them along. If you look at them over and over again, God is having to deal with this rebellious people. And so he had to create a very strict code for them to follow so they could learn the holiness of God and that they could be shaped into a off the rails. 
And if you have any doubts that they would go off the rails, I want you to think about this. God sent 10 commandments to take them out of, sorry, 10 plagues to send them out of Egypt. So they saw God work these 10 miraculous plagues to help get them out of Egypt. And as they go out of Egypt, he literally walks them through the Red Sea on dry ground, walls of water on either side. This whole time, he is leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're thirsty, he brings water from a rock. If they're hungry, manna is coming down from heaven. It just appears on the ground. All of this happens to these people. And the moment Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the law, they start making an idol into a calf and start worshiping and going into pagan revelry and all kinds of debauchery. The moment Moses goes away. And so God knew that he was going to have to be strict with this, these, these hard-hearted people. They had a slave mindset. They were in Egypt as slaves. They didn't know how to govern themselves. They didn't know what was holy in any way, shape, or form. They were used to worshiping other gods. They did not know how to serve one true, only God. And so God gave them a detailed list of instructions of what they could and could not do. So trying to give you some modern application, I want you to think of what you have to do with young children as opposed to adult children, all right? Your young children, you're clothing them, you're feeding them, you're telling them, don't touch that, don't touch that. You have strict rules of what they can and they cannot do. They can't go outside and play by themselves, all right? They're not allowed anywhere near the electric shock sockets, all right? You don't trust them with anything. They can't be in the kitchen around the hot stove. You have to have all these laws to keep them from hurting themselves. And so that's what God did. He's like, I am a holy God. So that, therefore, don't put two kinds of seed in one field. Only have one seed in the field because, again, I am holy. And I want you to understand this concept of being separate, all right? Don't do two types of clothing together, all right, because they'll pull apart easier that way. But also, I want you to understand holiness. Think holiness. There was all these cleansing rituals. There's all these different things to show the holiness of God. And there were harsh, harsh consequences to sin, too. Many capital punishment sins because these people would not listen if the consequences weren't harsh. And the whole purpose of those laws was to drag them kicking and screaming to the finish line where Jesus could come die, take, and then basically cover us in the covenant of grace, give us access to the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit, Spirit gives us freedom because it tells us what to do and what not to do, and we don't have to live by these tedious laws. But now, we have to go back to explain some of these laws a little bit further, all right? There are three types of law. There is ceremonial law, there is civil law, and there is moral law, all right? Two of these are done away with when Jesus came and died for us, our sins. The two are ceremonial law, which these had to do with all the worship practices, the things that you would do to keep holy, what you would eat and what you would not eat, how you would wash your hands, what incense to burn at the altar, how to do the animal sacrifices. All that was in, de in deal with terms of worship of God, and it was tradition. It was kind of like religious traditions that guide the people. 
and point them towards holiness. Then there was civil law, which think about social consequences, disputes between people, um, harms against different people. If you would steal, if you would, uh, um, somebody's ox would get broken and hurt and it was your fault. It was manslaughter, different types of murder, that kind of stuff. That is the civil law and civil consequences, how we interact with people. Those two, we no longer have to live under rigidity, all right? We no longer have to be legalistic about. Um, those are still wise things for us to consider, but we no longer have to live under those, and we have freedom in Christ. But there is a third type of law. That is God's moral law. And God's moral law is written on our very hearts. It is written into the very code of nature. It applies to all people at all times. It was applied at the Garden of Eden. It'll apply all the way until heaven and earth is remade and made new, all right? It, it, he makes it very clear that that law will never pass away because that law describes the very heart and character of God, who he is and what he wants with our lives. And that moral law is described in the Ten Commandments. There are other commandments. There are other things in the law that you could also say uh, is attributed to his moral law. But for sure, the Ten Commandments reveal the very heart and character of God. You think of the first three, all right? No other gods before me. Don't make any idols, graven images. And also, don't take the Lord's name in vain. These things are showing his holiness, holiness, holiness. It is also showing that he should be the only one worshiped. He created everything. All good things come from him. So all worship and glory belong to him. So don't give it to anybody else. And we'll come back to the fourth commandment because that's going to be our main focus. But look at the fifth commandment. God, the father, all right, he is our heavenly father. He brought us into the world. And so he wants us to honor the human beings that brought us into the world. He wants us to honor our father and our mother. All right, sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. God is the God of life, so don't take life. Thou shalt not commit adultery. God is faithful. He is forever unfailingly faithful. Don't be unfaithful. Thou shalt not steal, all right? God is a giver. He gives, he provides. Don't take away from other people. Thou shalt not lie or bear false witness against your neighbor. God is the God of truth. Don't speak lies. And thou shalt not covet. God is enough. We should be sustained in him. So don't want what other people have. So these laws are detailing the very heart and character of God. So if that is true, that means the fourth commandment is very serious. And we should be taking it very seriously. Remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't do any work on this day. And why? Why does he care about this? It's because God is the God of rest. And when he created the heavens and earth, and if you go to Genesis, it, it, it starts here. Again, the law applies. God's moral law applies at all times. And he says, I created the earth and the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, I rested. And really, he's telling his people, I wired you to work this way. All right. I built in a fail safe into your very DNA. You can't go more than six days without there being consequences. You're going to be tired if you do. I created it this way so that if you will work six days, but then you, you are going to need a day of rest. And that day of rest will remind you of whose you are and that you should be given your allegiance to me. So I want you to set aside that day and make it holy. 
and I want you to dedicate that day to me and spending time with me. Remember me. That is what it's about. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see some pretty harsh consequences for the people when they disobey this. In fact, God makes it very clear. Um, he points out that the reason that Israel went into captivity over and over again was because they were not, they were rejecting the Sabbath day of rest. He says it multiple times. Now they were doing other things. They were doing all kinds of different sins, but the one he specifically mentions as an accusation against them is they did not honor the Sabbath day. They were not keeping it holy. They were not remembering me. So because of that, he allowed people groups to come in and destroy them and, and take them captive. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 36, it explains that the length of Judah's 70 years of captivity to Babylon coordinates to the Sabbath days that were missed. So he took that 70 years and he says, you didn't honor this Sabbath day and this Sabbath day and this Sabbath day. You also didn't take your fields and give them a rest like I told you to. So I'm adding these all up against your account and that means that you're gonna spend 70 years in captivity because you have not honored the Sabbath day. And so again, you see how important it is to God. And I wanna read you some beautiful verses in a little bit more positive context of what he says about the Sabbath day. And this is found in Isaiah 58, um, verse 13 and 14. It'll be on your screen. It says this, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestors, Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. I think if, if you want to understand how you're supposed to look at the Sabbath day, just look at those verses. It's supposed to be a delight. You are supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to remember your God. And look what he says will happen if you do honor it you will be a delight in his eyes and he will give you great honor and satisfy you with a great inheritance. So my first two points to, to you today is this. Point number one, the 10 commandments reveal the very heart and character of God. So they apply to all people at all times. We're, we can't ignore these, all right? Number two, refusing to obey this commandment of God comes with a heavy price. And if you talk to people, um, and just ask them how they're doing. A lot of times people will just say fine, but if they add anything to fine, what they'll say is, I'm good, good, just busy, just busy. I mean, how many times have you said everything is good, but I'm just busy? Or you're like, yeah, I'm, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, good, good, just tired, you know, tired. Like everything we say is tired and busy. We're always tired and busy. And I, I truly believe it's because we are not honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. We are not taking a day where we just rest and we just rest in God and seek his will and rejuvenate our bodies. And because we're running, 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 running ragged, we're constantly connected, constantly connected to our phones, constantly connected to work, constantly connected to friends and family, that we are being drained constantly. We don't even realize it. And we're spending lots of time watching TV and doing mindless things. So we think, well, we're kind of resting, but no, we're engaged, we're engaged, we're engaged, and we're not disconnected from the world and plugged into Christ. And because of this, we are constantly, constantly tired. 
And um, some interesting studies, I mean, this is not just what, biblical studies, these are secular studies are showing us that it's, it's not, no profit whatsoever to work all the time. And so a really interesting study out of, coming out of Stanford University, they did extensive research on this and they showed that after 50 hours of, of work a week, your productivity steeply declines. It's a 50% decline after 50. So from fi hours 50 to 55, you're only half as productive as you were before. But what's really interesting is from 55 to 70, the productivity just falls off a cliff. In fact, people that work 70 hours a week have the same level of productivity as people that work 55 hours a week because those 70 hours are so unproductive because you're so tired and you lose focus. It also shows that it, those people that work over 50 hours a week are 35% are more likely to suffer from stroke-like uh, symptoms and have strokes. And you're 17% more likely to have heart problems. And study after study shows that what is happening because we are not taking the rest that God has wired into our bodies is that our health is suffering, our relationships are suffering, and our spiritual state is suffering. All these things are literally eating away at our, our emotions, our spirituality, and our physical uh, attributes because we are rejecting this commandment of God. And so what am I asking us to do this morning? I'm just asking us to consider, to consider the possibility that we need to be taking this very seriously. And we do live under the covenant of grace. So we don't have to be legalistic about it, but we very much so need to be finding times where we're separating ourselves and unplugging and also spending some time in rest and dedication to the Lord. And you may be thinking, okay, you showed me a lot of Old Testament stuff, but when you see in the New Testament Jesus talking, it seems like he's always breaking the Sabbath, right? He's always breaking the Sabbath. That's really the focus. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because those people during that time had made the Sabbath like work. They had so many laws that were added, so many different traditions that were heaped on on top of what God expected them to do that they literally made that day a pain. It made it a hardship. You couldn't light a fire. You couldn't go for a walk that was of any length of, at all. You couldn't pick an apple off a tree. You, there, was so, there was so many things that you could not do that it actually made it harder for people to connect with God on that day and connect with each other. And Jesus was horrified by that. But our society has the opposite problem. All right, we're busy, busy, busy. We're never stopping and we don't have any traditions anymore. Like there's, there's nothing we can't keep holy and separate on the Lord's day. But let's look at what Jesus said because I have one last point I wanna share with you. So I am looking at Mark chapter two. And if you have your Bibles, you can, we're gonna be here for a little while. So Mark chapter two, we're gonna start with verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So the disciples are hungry, and they're walking through a field, and there's just heads of grain that they're, they're kind of picking off. This is no work. Like, they're just they're feeding themselves. But the religious leaders were so legalistic. They're like, you are harvesting grain. You are working on the Sabbath. How can you, how can you do this? How can you let them do this, Jesus? And Jesus is like, ah, you guys do not get it. All right? The Sabbath was not made for your Sabbath traditions. The Sabbath was made for connecting with God and for man to fill him up, to make things restful and peaceful. Then he goes on in the next chapter, and he continues this Sabbath of what the Sabbath is all about. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was a Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Can you imagine how hard-hearted you have to be to see a miracle of God like this and your immediate response be to go out and plot the death of this man? And I love Jesus here. He's just bold, all right? He knows what they're thinking. He knows what he's gonna do. He has the man stand up in front of everyone. And then he even prefaces it with, should we do good? Or should we do evil on the Sabbath? No one is willing to answer him. He says, hold out your hand. Jesus hasn't done anything here other than tell the man to hold out his hand. The hand is held out and it's miraculously healed. And then they turn and walk out and try to get him killed. Sometimes, sometimes, and sometimes religious people are, are some of the worst people about being hard-hearted and stubborn and refusing to do things God's way, but just they, they think they know the truth. And they're just going to hold on to it, even though it contradicts Scripture. Right? But in this situation, Jesus is showing them the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath day that is holy, okay? We are to honor God. And what makes it holy is how we align our hearts with God. Nothing special about the day. In fact, in Romans 14, Paul goes in to explain that there's not one day that's more holy than the other. So whether you serve it on, on Saturday or you serve it on Sunday or another day, it doesn't matter, all right? That's between you and God and your own conscience, all right? But there should be a day where we're honoring God and we should be resting. It's in the, it's in the very moral law of God. And so Jesus is coming to reshape our thinking, all right? And he's saying, and this is my last point, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So whatever you're doing that helps fill you up, you should do that. So if you work a nine to five job where you're constantly staring at a screen and you are using your mind mostly for work, then it's probably okay for you to go hiking or play some sports on the Sabbath day. That would be something to fill you up. If you are working a manual labor job for five, six days a week, and that's what you do, you're constantly working your body, then it would be perfectly okay for you to go from the bed to the couch, to the lawn chair, and that's it, all right? That might fill you up and make you rest, all right? If you're an introvert, don't invite people over. Enjoy that alone time. 
rest in that. And then you're an extrovert. Bring the people over. Host, celebrate, have a good time. If you're married to an introvert and you're an extrovert, then God bless you. You got to work that out. You got to compromise. How are you going to do that? You might have Sabbath days on different days. I don't know. You do you. But what you need to understand is how important it is that you are setting aside a day where you are filling yourself up. And in that time, I strongly encourage you to sit back, relax, and meditate on scripture and meditate on God and who he is. Spend some extra quality time with him. And in that day, don't do any work. Now, if something comes up, some kind of emergency, this is a day for doing good. You take care of your family. You take care of the emergency, all right? And if you have certain things, you don't have to be legalistic with it. You can make it up on another day. Your Sabbath day can go from a half day here and, and to, to the next day, all right? You, you have freedom in Christ on how you honor that Sabbath day. But if you are not honoring that Sabbath day at all, if you're not spending a day a 24-hour period where you are dedicated to loving God and loving people, then there is a problem. I didn't realize just how much of a problem I had until I went to Kenya, all right? So I went on a mission trip to Kenya last year, last February, and I go there, and it was a culture shock, all right? And the biggest problem for me was, I mean, I loved a lot of the stuff of the culture, but they have a saying in Kenya, and it's that Americans keep time, but Kenyans control time. And basically what they mean by that is we pay attention to the clock. They just control what, what things start whenever they want, whenever they feel like. And so this was very hard for me. So I was supposed to teach at a conference and they said, all right, me and this one other guy, we had six hours to teach on hermeneutics, all right, to this, this big audience, seven, 800 people, all right? And so I'm like, okay, they're like, we're gonna pick you up at nine, and we're gonna get over there around 9.30, and then it's gonna go from 9.30 all the way to three o'clock. I'm like, okay, I'm doing the math, I'm trying to work out the hours. You won't need a translator, so you have all that time. And so I'm trying to crunch my three hours in of the six hours and how it's gonna work, and I'm thinking through these things. Well, I get there 20 minutes early, all right? I'm supposed to be picked up at nine, I'm there at 8.40, checking my time, stressing myself out. They arrive at 10 o'clock. 10. It was like an hour after they said, we arrive at 10.30. And so I'm frantic now. I'm, do, I'm readjusting my, my messages and how I'm going to do this teaching. And then we get there at 10.30 and they're like, hey, come on, eat breakfast with us. We're going we're gonna to sit down and have a meal. A meal. Their people are waiting in this, this huge tent. Everyone is, is expecting long teaching. I'm like, what is going on here? And then right before we get on stage at like 11.15, 11.30, they say, hey, just so you know, uh, we are going to use a translator after all. So just half whatever you were going to do. Um, and so then I'm readjusting. Now I'm like, now I have like an hour and a half. And then like we take a little mini break for lunch. And they're like, hey, just so you know, we're going to wrap this thing up a little bit early around two. So like you have about mm, 30 more minutes left. I'm like, what is going on? Do you guys people not care? But it started to show me, and this happened all week long, where I'm like, ready to go, let's do this, I'm, I have my plans, I'm, I'm worried about the clock, and they're not worried. And they were living in the moment. Now, I will say, I do think their yes should be yes, and their no should be no a little bit more, all right? But what I realize is how much, time, how much I am using my mental energy and spiritual energy stressing out about things I don't need to stress out about, time being efficient. And these people 
were enjoying each other and enjoying the moment. They were living in the moment. And when I see Jesus and how he lived his life, it appears to me that he lived in the moment. He was very engaged with the people around him. He was not worried about whether the, the disciples wanted to eat or whether they wanted to go on to the next town. He was engaged in the moment, and then when he needed rest, he would go up the mountain and get away from people. So my challenge to you is, you can't be in the moment on your phone with your family, all right? You can't be in the moment if you're worried about work and checking your email and stressed out. You can't be in the moment if you're checking social media, right? You can't be in the moment if you're worrying about tomorrow. Be in the moment, be engaged with the people around you, be engaged with God, and take a day of rest and see how it transforms your life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for loving us enough to give us this day of rest, of wiring us in a way that we have to take a break and give you the glory. And I pray that we will be a church that loves you with our whole heart, that we filter everything we do through a lens of, of who you are and what you've done for us, and that we will set aside a day, that we will make a commitment to ourselves, to our family, and most importantly to you, that we will honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy because you are a God that is worthy of all worship. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. Church, thank you so much for having me here today, and we'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.